You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 512 of this podcast. Today is Thursday, December 8th, 2022, and we've got some more news to talk about because we should be informed about current events and we should be paying attention and we should be trying to think rightly about these things. Not that the news is always happy but that we can be happy even if the news is sometimes unfortunate. And this actually, you know, it's a point that I want to emphasize more as I think about recent episodes. I've been listening back through of my own episodes. I sometimes can get on a little bit of a kick. If you haven't noticed, you might have noticed, but sometimes I can get on a little bit of a kick where it's all bad news, and I don't want to be just telling you bad news. And I also don't want it to only be news stories that have a kind of sinister, you know, peel back the layers and, ah, see, this is so rotten kind of a quality to them. I don't want to just be doing that. I also want to be giving you some positive stories, some happy news as well. To where it's balanced, right? Now, balanced, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a 50-50. It doesn't mean you have one happy story for every sad story, or sometimes you get angry and sometimes you're more hopeful or even-keeled or optimistic. But what balance has to do with is accurately conveying the reality. The reality is there are some bad things that are going on at all times, always, but there are also good things that are happening. There is common grace that we get to enjoy, regardless of whether we believe in God, regardless of whether we are Christians, there's a common grace that we all enjoy. And typically you can see signs of that common grace, even in otherwise unpleasant stories and unpleasant business. But there's also special grace. And as Christians, even in sad stories or upsetting injustice type uh, news events, there is a plan that the good Lord above has to work all things to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so we want to draw that out. And that's really where, what I mean by balance, not just that I throw in some fluff now and then, or that I crack a joke every now and then. Sometimes jokes, uh, when somebody is, uh, you know, in not the happiest season of life, perhaps personally, sometimes jokes can take on a very bitter tone. And that's not what I want. But I want to be able to keep it light enough to where it's not a crushing burden. I, I don't want, as I'm talking about the news, sharing with you current events for it to be a burdensome thing that weighs you down. But I'm thinking to myself about last night, helping with youth group, I was asked to, scheduled to give a talk to the students about worship and more specifically encouragement about worship. And 
honestly, if I had a do-over, I would have liked to invest more time in the prep work, in getting ready. There were a few things that just with a little bit more quality control on my part would have been better, would have gone off more smoothly. Like for instance, and this is not a big deal, it's not a big thing, but it is a thing and it is something I could have easily fixed if I would have thought about it on the front end. Purple highlighted text on a black background, that makes the text difficult to read and it did. And other highlight colors that I had scattered throughout the slides, other colors easier to see, I should have gone with more of those colors or lighter colors, not purple on black. It was easy to see on my monitor, but then you get it out in front of other people and you start getting feedback after the fact and you find out, ah, that was hard to see. It was hard to make out the words with that combination of colors. And I don't believe that that is only true of slideshow presentations that I might present at youth group. I think that's also true of a great many other things as well, how we organize information, how we relay information, how we communicate in general, sometimes can be like that. A purple highlight on a black background with black text in the middle can be hard to see. And sometimes if we don't do that quality control work on our own communication, we can obscure or make harder to understand our intended meaning. And so every now and then you got to just take a step back and you've got to ask for feedback. You've got to listen and hear how you're coming across or if the message is getting through. But overall, last night I gave this presentation to the students about worship and I started it off very quickly and perhaps too quickly, according to some of what my sons told me on the way home. But I started out very quickly running through various passages of scripture that pertain to worship and what all is involved. What's in the mix here? Is this just singing? Well, no, it's not just singing. It's also what we do. It's also our gestures. It's also life. It's also being a living sacrifice, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. It's not just words that we say. It's not just lyrics. It's also spirit and in truth. The words have to be true. And there is an emotional component. There's a historical component where we're recounting the great deeds of our God and King. There's also a expectancy where we're singing about, we're talking about, we're remembering, we're reminding one another of the good things that God is promised to do in the future. That's part of why you talk about what he has done that he promised to do and what he is doing that he's promised to do and what he will do in the future gives us hope even in the midst of trials or difficulty or a broken creation or we ourselves being broken creatures. But I ran through these passages fairly quickly at a, a fairly brisk pace. My little slide advancer that I had bought uh, was not working for some reason. I should have tested that out. That's another thing. I should have tested that out before I got up in front of everybody. And then if I work backwards, I should have gotten there a few minutes earlier. And that would have given me time to test it out, live and learn. I tested it at home and it worked at home, but should have tested it at the church there. But then from those passages of scripture from the Psalms and whatnot, 
Old Testament, New Testament, I transitioned into asking perhaps an uncomfortable an uncomfortable question. And I didn't ask the question because I'm trying to make people uncomfortable, but rather I want us to be intentional, right? I want us to think carefully about why we worship and what actually are we doing when we worship. I asked the question, but does God need your worship? Technically, technically, no, he doesn't need your worship. That's not why we're doing it. And I don't want to give the wrong impression here. I'm not saying keep it to yourself. I'm not saying it's not necessary to worship. It is very important that we worship. It's very necessary that we worship, but not because God is needy, not because he's insecure or discouraged every now and then, and he needs a pep talk. It's very important to us, to we ourselves, for our souls and our hearts and our minds to be guarded effectively by the peace that surpasses all understanding, the peace that we have in Christ Jesus, for our hearts and our minds and our souls to be cared for and guarded. We have to be constantly recalibrating to God and to God's purposes and to God's character and to God's promises and to God's will for our lives. And when we do that, that is the most blessed and enjoyable and life-giving place we can possibly be, both as individuals and corporately. That's part of how we learn to love one another, is by reminding ourselves and one another of God's love for us and its dimensions. So far as it's been revealed to us, we know he did this. We know he is doing this. You know, he will do this. That's what it means that we sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs are not just you know, uh, uh, you know what you might get up in front of everybody when the words are on the screen to sing in unison. Spiritual songs might also be, in some sense, spoken words, right? There's a lyrical quality and there's a symphonic quality to our getting together, our fellowshipping with one another, even to our interacting out in the broader world among the nations, among those who are not in Christ, where we're testifying to God's goodness like a melody that is playing uh, in the midst of uh, otherwise is quite a lot of discord. But we have to remember, particularly if we are out among the nations, if we are out in the world, we have to remember that God ultimately is going to make this bit of music really come together in a beautiful way. He is the conductor. We have to remember that. But I got to talking, right? I, you know, as is always the case, after church, after youth group, I got to talking with some others, some other uh, parents and adults and leaders. And one of the conversations I had was with a, a certain uh, lady who I I won't mention her name, but I just will say you know, we got to talking about apologetics and about paying closer attention to lyrics and songs and what goes into them. And it's funny because I, you know, I'm coming fresh off of having played the intro for uh, yesterday's episode as Waka Waka by Shakira. It's funny to me <laughs> that we had this conversation last night after youth group uh, about how her children, they sometimes get kind of exasperated with her 
because they'll be listening to popular music that they've listened to for a long time. And then all of a sudden she starts noticing and keying in on certain lyrics and saying, well, wait a second, is that true? Is that good? Also, hmm, that sounds really familiar. That turn of phrase in that verse sounds an awful lot like a nod to something that is erroneous or something that is actually not good for our soul and it's not good for our mind. It's not true and it's not right. And uh, it's actually something that we should be aware of or we should be concerned about or, or on guard regarding. And so she'll notice this as she is digging into apologetics and as she is trying to be more intentional in how she listens and how she hears things. And she will share this with her teenage children and they get a little bit frustrated. Oh, is this another song that we're not going to be able to listen to anymore? Is that what's coming down the pike? Is that what's about to happen? And, you know, I think to myself, well, you know, on the one hand, sometimes it, maybe that is for the best. You know, I, I know in the case of my own household, it's always this you know, bit of watch and see and then adjust as you go and tweak process when it comes to media influences. Sometimes my kids get into playing a game, watching a show, listening to some music, and I start to pick up on attitude changes that are not so good or ways of relating that are not a good fit for the circumstances and how they're supposed to be relating to one another or their responsibilities or other people or life. And so sometimes it is good to say, all right, we started keying in on these things. We're trying to be intentional. We're trying to provide some good soul care for ourselves and for one another and trying to be self-controlled and not taken captive by vain and human philosophy, even if it comes in the form of a video game or a TV show or a piece of music. We're trying to be intentional about this. You know what? We just don't have time for this. I, I don't want you guys to be playing that for a while or at all anymore. Or I don't want you to be watching that anymore. Or I don't want you to be listening to that anymore for a while or at all. And to be honest, you know, that was part of the reason why I <clears throat> looked up the song Waka Waka. And that's part of the reason why I played it at the beginning of yesterday's episode, even though I'm not so sure that we should be <laughs> uh, listening to uh, a lot of Shakira. And I was a little bit concerned at, at first where it's like, oh, why are my kids listening to Shakira? That's what's up with that. Where, when did that start? Where did that come from? But I got into listening to it because I thought, all oh, right, you know, what are the lyrics here? What is actually being communicated? What is this? And quite frankly, and this is not just true when some of the lyrics are in another language. This is also true very often, even when the lyrics are in English, but particularly when the lyrics are in some other language, you have no idea on the front end what you're actually singing, what is being sung, and if that's something that you should agree with or affirm or embrace or internalize or aspire to. You have no idea. And that's part of why you have to look it up. You have to think about it. You have to be careful. It's not just sounds that mean nothing and have no significance. No, no. If worship 
has significance for recalibrating our affections, our attentions, our priorities. If worship of God that is true, that is right, that is in spirit and in truth, if that is good and proper for doing something in our souls, in our hearts, in our minds, well, then so also, so also it would stand to reason that other music that is not worship of God, that is not songs and spiritual hymns and such like that, other music also is doing something with regards to our hearts and our minds and our souls, as in ideas and sentiments are coming in with the lyrics and with the music. And so, like for instance, last night I'm talking about this song, Is He Worthy? And I'm saying to the students, I really like this song. I think it's well-structured. I like the lyrical quality. I like the way that it builds. I like how balanced it is as far as not shying away from unpleasant reality that it is a broken creation. We are broken creatures. We do long for things to be made new again. It doesn't shy away from that as it asserts in very clear terms that Christ is worthy of our worship, of our praise, of our honor and glory. It builds to this crescendo and that crescendo musically in volume and in complexity and emotion also is matched by the narrative build and the lyrical build, right? Well, you get that not just in Christian music and actually not often enough in Christian music uh, these days. I think there's a superficial and uh, repetitive quality to far too much Christian music these days. But you also get that in music generally. You, you just do. And so being more intentional about it, it's a good idea. It, it's a good idea. That, to my way of thinking, it typically doesn't mean, well, don't listen to it anymore, right? It might sometimes, but more often, it's how do we listen to this and what can we take away and what should we actually take away? What do we want to leave right where it sets? <laughs> because uh, that's, that, you know, that's not healthy. That, that is not true and spiritually, that is not in alignment with worship, you know, in the broad, full-spectrum sense, worship of our God and King. But moving on from this topic of worship, moving on from the topic of music, back into current events, talking about what's going on, some of the headlines, some of recent uh, goings-on in the wider world. There's a story I ran across from the Epoch Times about Kerry Lake. Now, as you might know, if you've been paying attention to politics here in the U.S., Kerry Lake was the Republican candidate for governor in the state of Arizona, former uh, news anchor, journalist, reporter, and also very heavily uh, uh, influenced by, I guess you could say, or uh, adjacent might be a better word in some sense, very adjacent to the Make America Great Again, Donald Trump brand, uh, endorsed by him, also endorsed by a number of other uh, Republicans and conservative commentators, but not all, because she has been very uh, critical of what happened in the 2020 election. And your more polite types, 
your David French's, for instance, your Bill Crystal's in what is called American conservatism or the Republican Party in the U.S., they absolutely reject the Kerry Lake types. And they, they want nothing to do with the Kerry Lake types, as it seems to me. She's the opposite of winsome, which is their goal. Their highest goal and their highest good is to be winsome. Well, she uh, has allegedly lost her bid for governor. And there's a lot of funny business in the way that the vote was taken and counted. And it's questionable uh, whether the Democrats cheated enough to actually steal the election. So what do you do? What do you do if the other side cheats and you have no recourse? Uh, or what do you do if the other side you know, is being highly irregular? We'll put it that way. If you actually care about the process and the integrity of the process and the results being legitimate and not fraudulent, you do what Carrie Lake did, which is taking legal action to try and get access to records. Now, a very, very <laughs> curious thing. Uh, here's this story. Carrie Lake responds to judge who sanctioned her legal team in lawsuit. So she's trying to get a hold of, her legal team is trying to get a hold of records so that they can challenge what's going on in Arizona. There's some very irregular things going on with voting machines and tabulation and the like. She's trying to get a hold of records in a timely manner before the results are certified by uh, who else? The person who is said to be the declared winner now, the Attorney General of Arizona, a Democrat. The judge to whom this appeal request was made, Judge John Tukey, I think I'm saying that right, T-U-C-H-I, of the U.S. District Court for the District of Arizona, rejected the lawsuit and also moved to fine Lake's attorneys and the attorneys for Republican Secretary of State candidate Mark Fincham. And I quote, and this is Tucci or Tukey, imposing sanctions in this case is not to ignore the importance of putting in place procedures to ensure that our elections are secure and reliable. It is to make clear that the court will not condone litigants ignoring the steps that Arizona has already taken toward this end and furthering false narratives that baselessly undermine public trust at a time of increasing disinformation about and distrust in the democratic process. It is to send a message to those who might file similarly baseless suits in the future, end quote. In response, the reporting by Jack Phillips over at the Epoch Times uh, continues, in response, Lake's team disputed Tukey's order and accused him of being a politically motivated actor. A Lake campaign statement noted that Tukey was appointed by former President Barack Obama. That uh, may or may not be the reason, uh, but it's very plausibly the reason that part of the corruption that is uh, endemic, as the narrative goes, to our political system, our government, is that these kinds of lawsuits just get thrown out. They get dismissed depending on who appointed the judge in the case. So it's a very curious thing. It's a very curious thing. And 
can I just make a very uh, simple, basic assertion, just a, a casual observation, regardless how you feel about questions of election integrity or fraud or cheating or stealing elections, whether you think those are legitimate, whether they give you a headache and you just wish all that would go away and you don't want to hear about it anymore, <clears throat> whether you think the folks who are going on about election integrity are just sore losers who need to just give it up. You know, yeah, you lost. You were a bad candidate. People didn't want you. That's all there is. We have to reckon with the fact that to the judge's point here, there is increasing distrust in the democratic process. And and what this actually means, if you draw that out and zoom in on it, the increasing distrust in the democratic process is the tragedy here. And what I'm not saying is that we should want pure democracy. We don't want pure democracy. Pure democracy is a terrible idea. It's been tried and it was a failure. Always. Ancient Greece, they did it and it didn't go well. And our founding fathers here in the US, when they were drafting our constitution, when they were deciding what kind of government uh, the United States of America would have, they took special note of that fact. And they said, let's not do that here. Let's not do pure democracy. Let's have a combination of some Republican elements, of some Democratic elements. Let's separate the powers. Let's have three branches. Let's have various levels, federal, state, city, local, county, et cetera, et cetera. Let's have limitations on the government. Let's have order. Let's have structure. Let's have transparency and accountability. They actually wanted and incentivized, according to Alexis de Tocqueville, when he writes in Democracy in America, speaking of democracy, and comparing the American democratic experiment with his native French experiment in democracy and self-government, a radical idea at that time, at that point in history in Europe that had just uh, come out of uh, the Middle Ages, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things that Alexis de Tocqueville spends quite a lot of time on is this idea of incentivizing, actually, the citizenry holding elected officials and government accountable. And what we have in the name of saving the democracy on the left is this idea that to question elected officials or government officials or bureaucrats to question them is somehow a traitorous, treasonous, seditious thing in and of itself, or that that is dangerous. What's really actually dangerous is to not question at all, because these people are not perfect. They're not infallible. So for one thing, they might make honest mistakes. And if you're not allowed to key in on those, point them out, well, then how do they ever get better? How do they ever stop, for instance, uh, doing the purple highlight against a black background when they're doing a, a, you know, a PowerPoint presentation, for example? That kind of thing. It's an honest mistake. Hey, you know, it seemed like it was a good idea on my monitor at home. I'm sorry about that. I should have gone with a different color. My bad. Next time, I will. Right? How do you catch even just 
honest mistakes if the citizenry are told for them to question the government, to question elected officials, to question even the way that the process is being carried out is itself this dangerous thing. And don't you do that. Don't, don't you do that. Moving on from that, though, people are not somehow immune from corrupt motives, from ambition, from spite, from cruelty, from being greedy, from being malicious, just because they get into a position of government. I, I don't know if that's news to anybody, but just because somebody gets into the government, that doesn't just suddenly like change their character, change their hearts and their minds to where their hearts and their minds are now, you know, pure, undiluted goodness and altruism. No, no, that's not how that works. So what happens when the governed or candidates for government have some serious allegations, questions, they're keying in on things that appear to be very irregular, and they are told in response for you to even question, for you to even talk about this like it's something untoward, that is the actual problem here. The problem is not the problem. The problem is that you want to talk about the problem. Well, you know what? That's the hallmark of a dysfunctional family. And I think that's a fair summary. We can say that much at least about this whole business surrounding questions of election integrity. But moving on, I want to touch on briefly speaking of trust and our government and accountability, et cetera, et cetera. There's a report from two days ago at the Daily Wire by Ryan Saavedra. The Twitter files compromised after a lawyer involved in the controversy was behind vetting the files. So Twitter CEO Elon Musk released internal company communications through journalist Matt Taibbi on Friday about the company's censorship of the New York Post's Hunter Biden laptop story during the 2020 presidential election and about how the platform removed content at the behest of the Democrat Party. Contained in the batch of files, which Taibbi released in a lengthy Twitter thread, was an email from former Twitter Deputy General Counsel Jim Baker about how the company should handle the Hunter Biden laptop story. Quote, I support the conclusion that we need more facts to assess whether the materials were hacked, Baker said in the email. At this stage, however, it is reasonable for us to assume that they may have been and that caution is warranted. There are some facts that indicate that the materials may have been hacked, while there are others indicating that the computer was either abandoned and or the owner consented to allow the repair shop to access it for at least some purposes. We simply need more information. Okay, so right there, that very last line, we simply need more information. I want you to pay attention to who is said to need more information, okay? I want you to key in on that statement, that assertion. Just give that a, give that a minute to uh, percolate while I take a sip of my coffee. We simply need more information. Sometimes what we need is not more information. Sometimes we have enough information. Sometimes what we're doing is stalling for time, delaying, because we don't want to do the thing that we know we ought to do, or we want to do the thing that we know we ought not to do. Sometimes we don't need more information. Sometimes we need to just do what is right. 
Other times, we do need more information in order to know what is right to do, right? That happens. Also, though, this does not just apply to former FBI (laughs) agents. This does not just apply to legal counsel for social media companies. This also absolutely must apply to the American people. For instance, for example, going into an election. And then, get this, get this, the same guy who is potentially going to be implicated in the release of files, internal correspondence at the behest of the now owner and CEO of Twitter, Elon Musk, this same legal counsel who formerly worked for the FBI was an FBI agent or general counsel. That guy, unbeknownst to Matt Taibbi and Elon Musk, is filtering what actually gets through to Matt Taibbi as Matt Taibbi is releasing to the public these internal conversations and removing, scrubbing things that could be damaging to the FBI or damaging to the Democratic Party, just like they were scrubbing other people's content that was being posted to Twitter under the auspices of this being the public square and it being a very important time in our country's history and in world history going into the 2020 election, given the circumstances, that guy is also going to decide what information you need, right? They needed more information, he said, in the internal uh, dialogues back and forth. We simply need more information. But you know who else needed more information? You and me, the general public, the American people, the citizenry, the voters. And whatever the judge over in Arizona, who has uh, (laughs) sanctioned Carrie Lake's legal team, whatever she... Uh, you know, might be saying or doing that would potentially uh, undermine public trust in our democratic processes. Uh, Hey, where are the sanctions for this legal counsel, former FBI general counsel, and his undermining of our trust in the democratic process? Where are the sanctions for him? Moving on. There's a story from the Denver Post under politics by Conrad Swanson, published December 5th. After narrowly winning re-election, will Lauren Boebert tone down her rhetoric? Quote, it's not clear that she has a lower gear to shift into, said Seth Maskett, a political scientist at the University of Denver. Now, here's the thing. If you read down through this piece by Conrad Swanson, The big idea is that Lauren Boebert is far right and uh, she engages in some antics which are embarrassing to some Coloradans who don't care for that, who don't want to be represented by that. That's why she almost lost her re-election bid. And yet she is probably incapable, right? She's incapable of toning down her rhetoric moving forward. She's just going to keep on being Lauren Boebert. Now, it reminds me, it reminds me 
Not that I am a big fan of Lauren Boebert. I can appreciate and agree with some things that she says, but nevertheless, it reminds me of something I've read about Edmund Burke, how when he was elected to parliament, he told (laughs) the people of the district that had just elected him, basically in so many terms, don't think that I am going to be voting however you want me to vote as we go along. You can't just call me up or I'm, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. They didn't have phones back then. But you can't just write and say, this piece of legislation is on the docket and I want you to vote against it or I want you to oppose it or I want you to be for it and I want you to support it. No, no. When you voted for me, you voted for me to be me. And that is you voted for me to represent you in the way that I think best. And so I'm going to represent you. You don't like that? Well, then you shouldn't have voted for me. You shouldn't vote for me. Next time, I'll go (laughs) to some other district and they can vote for me, uh, which is what he did. But same also with regards to politicians who actually do get into office, who are a thorn in the side of leftists, which I think you could say Lauren Boebert uh, is in some sense, but also she uh, probably is exactly the kind of thorn in their side that they like to have in some ways. When someone, anyone gets elected to office, the idea that then they have to tone down their rhetoric as they're watching the polls, I think it kind of defeats the idea of this being not a pure democracy, right? I think having them legislate or govern or judge according to polls is, uh, it's a very bad idea. That That is a slippery slope to pure democracy. That's not what we want. You And also polls can be very easily manipulated. Just be careful about who your sample size is and where and how you phrase the questions. And, uh, you know, just like uh, elections can be, uh, you know, cheated on and in, you can also definitely cheat in the way that you conduct polls. And so if you are in office or if you're running for office and you're looking at the polls and somebody, some bright uh, mind <laughs> uh, who doesn't like your politics starts telling you, hey, you need, I think you need to tone it down. I think you need to moderate yourself and you know, actually change what you're for and against based on uh, what it appears the public is for and against. And times they are changing and this is what people want now. Um, you know what? Have a backup plan. Have something else you can do for a living and go with God. Uh, operate according to the dictates of your conscience and make sure your principles are higher than just whatever the latest polling numbers look like. You know, that 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 would be my advice. You need to not fall for the trap because I I think I think it is a trap. Speaking of, and this actually feeds into our next uh point here. Speaking of people who say things that are maybe sometimes offensive, embarrassing, regrettable, controversial. Maybe we could use that term. That's a safe term to use here. That is, I think, uh, pretty comprehensive, controversial figures. Alex Jones. Let's talk about Alex Jones for a second. There's a piece in, even closer to home, the Greeley Tribune, an editorial piece, an opinion piece by the Boston Herald editorial staff, but it's been republished in the Greeley Tribune. 
other voices. Don't let Alex Jones hide. And I'm not going to read very much of this, but there's this picture of Alex Jones in court. He lost in court in Waterbury, Connecticut, September 22nd, 2022, and was ordered to pay nearly $1.5 billion in court judgments over so-called conspiracy theories that he spread about the Sandy Hook school massacres or school shooting. And it's a it's a look on his face that is not his best look. And this is one of the things that you know, reporters do as a matter of course to editorialize. You pick the picture that is going to convey about the person what you want people to think and feel about them. Not necessarily painting them in the best light if what you're trying to do is actually uh, destroy their credibility. And so that's what this picture is. Uh, you know, it's, it's not his best look. They could have done better if they liked the guy, but they don't. And that becomes clear from the jump. Alex Jones, and I quote, should not be allowed to file for bankruptcy. He's a bottom-feeding snake who has shamed all that is great about the First Amendment. The courts should reject his Chapter 11 appeal and ban him from ever applying again. <laughs> it's just, there's no there's no filter on that. Uh, I'm surprised that there wasn't some profanity to boot uh, as well, because uh, there's just absolute seething contempt for Alex Jones at Boston Herald, uh, their editorial staff, apparently. But it's funny. I actually I, I listened to an interview that Stephen Crowder did with Alex Jones regarding Kanye West's antics. Kanye West came on Alex Jones's program, and even Alex Jones. It's just kind of like chuckling to himself very nervously and uncomfortably. Uh, you know, the, the meme was, I'm never going to financially recover from this. <laughs> because uh, Kanye West was saying some some pretty, uh, I'm sorry, some pretty crazy things. I don't mean that in a clinical sense. I just mean some pretty crazy things to say. I love Hitler. I love Nazis. Even if you followed up with, I love Jews. I love all people. I love communists. I love Stalin. I love Mao. I love Hitler. I love all these people because of God's love for me. You know, even if you followed up with that, you, you can't, you, you can't do that. You just can't be saying in context when somebody is questioning you on anti-Semitism or some very broad brushes you've been painting Jews with, you can't just fall back on, well, I, you know, I love everybody, right? It, there's there's got to be more to it than that. But Alex Jones and his conversation with Stephen Crowder, you know, I think Stephen Crowder handled it very well. Stephen Crowder is another one that the same folks who cannot stand, they, they, they can't find strong enough language to denounce Alex Jones. I think they take him too seriously. But they also don't care for Stephen Crowder, I would hazard a guess. And yet you get these two guys together and they say, hey, we don't agree on everything. We don't see eye to eye on everything. We we probably see eye to eye on quite a lot, actually, but not on everything. And we would disagree. We would debate this or that. But the idea that this guy should be hated or driven from the public square and not allowed to speak at all publicly, you know, if he's not calling for violence, and to my knowledge, he's not, but you just don't like what he has to say. Ooh, be careful because what happens when people don't like what you have to say? And also going back to the accountability piece, what happens 
when everybody just thinks and says the same thing, you don't catch honest mistakes for one, and you also don't catch corruption. And so even if you don't like his saying, ah, you know, they're trying to turn the freaking frogs gay, even if you don't like him saying things like that, or you think that's absurd and ridiculous and nobody should listen to that, you have to allow speech that you don't like if you in any way, shape, or form, want to be free to speak yourself. And if you don't want to be free to speak yourself, well, then why is that? That's where I would go next is why don't you want to be free to speak? Is it because you don't want the responsibility? You don't want to be come back to when you fail to speak, when you fail to say what is true, when you fail to bring accountability, you want that cover to be able to not bring accountability, to not say the hard things, to not be unpopular, to not take risks. So you're just jumping on this bandwagon of outrage that certain people are allowed to say just whatever they want. Now, I'm not talking about whether it was right or proper for him to you know, spread the idea that you've got crisis actors who are pretending to be parents and this thing was all just a hoax. And I'm not going to get into a, whether it was a hoax, whether there were crisis actors, whether this is uh, all a sham. And I'm also not going to get into whether claiming that an actual grieving parent whose child has just been uh, fatally shot in their own school, claiming that they're a crisis actor, you know, whether that should be something that we're free to say. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Very open shut, very biblical. Slander is already against the law. Libel is already against the law. That's not what's at issue here. And that's not actually the totality of what the censorious folks are wanting to banish from the public square. That's that's not actually what they want to have removed from our eyeballs and our ear holes. They want the full spectrum of anything that gets in the way of what they want, between them and what they want. And so it's a funny thing, you know, another little anecdote from last night. I'm talking with a teenager, a high schooler. Uh, We picked him and his uh, sisters up on the way to youth group. And I'm talking with him about some classes He's taken recently some composition classes that he's taken recently and is about to take some more of at the local community college. He's doing the same thing that my oldest two sons are doing. And so I'm asking him questions about, okay, you know, how did you like the class and how was it and what did you learn? And he tells me, well, they had a debate, right? They each had to pick topics and they were broken out into groups of six and they had to pick a topic to debate and take a position on. But One of the rules, one of the stipulations was you need to not offend people. Pick something that's controversial and don't offend people. And that's an impossible task these days because people will be offended even just in you saying uh, it needs to not be offended. So good luck with that. But he picked the topic of public transportation, which he thought would be safe. And yet it turned out everybody was offended at him saying, actually, if we look at the numbers, you know, Gas-powered buses, uh, city buses, very, very efficient, very cost-effective and scalable and very flexible. Electric buses, very expensive and also very expensive to maintain, not just expensive to buy, expensive to maintain. 
And also, too, the charging station is very expensive to install and put in. Also, if you want to go light rail, that's another option people like. We're talking not millions, but billions of dollars per year that that would cost uh, to build and then subsequently to maintain. And it's just not practical. It's not scalable. It's not feasible. And a lot of people in his class, uh, this uh, student's class, did not like. They were offended. They didn't like that. They say, oh, what about climate change? Right? That's not responsible. And then if you bring facts and you say, well, actually, no, you know, studies have shown the impact on the environment is fairly minimal. And actually, too, that's part of you're just having public transportation at all, having buses at all means there's that many fewer cars on the road. And so actually, you know, we're, we're already gleaning a lot of environmental benefit. You don't need to get even more and more. There's a you know point of diminishing returns here. Oh, they didn't want to hear that. They're offended by that. And so what I'm trying to get at is we've got to be very careful that we are not catering to and flattering and encouraging and incentivizing more of the kind of sentiment that would be common in, let's say, a uh, English composition class at a local community college, where to bring facts to bear that are very practical, very actually, I think, cut and dry, that offends people. And then what goes on downstream from that is your character gets assassinated. But if you say anything untoward about other people's character, well, then that gets seized on. That's the real danger here is that you're free to say that. Or we're free to say whatever we want about you. Hacked materials, for instance, at Twitter, they're not all that concerned about it if it's Trump's tax returns and it's the New York Times. But if it's a laptop of you know, the presidential candidate's uh, son, potentially, allegedly, well, that, oh, no, this could be hacked. No, 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 no. You know, it works one direction but it doesn't work the other direction in an equal way. Just one more story here, very, very briefly, and then I got to run. The Wall Street Journal has a report titled, Iran considers easing some restrictions on women as protests continue. I don't care what Michael Knowles says. I'm going to keep saying Iran because it's more fun to say it that way. Uh, <laughs> just he, he thinks we need to say it. Iran, because we're Americans, and I'm going to say Iran, because it sounds better. Iran considers easing some restrictions on women as protests continue. There's a lot of fake news that's going on right now with regards to Iran, and I would draw your attention back to the Obama years with a certain administration cabinet um, type character by the name of Ben Rhodes who actually went to college for, I think it was creative writing or, you know, basically like he, he went to school to write fiction and then he joined the Obama administration and he wrote fiction, but then they peddled it to friendly journalists who then, and this was his brag, I kid you not, created an echo chamber in the corporate media, which then changed the perception among the American people, which then changed the polling, which then by extension was used to leverage elected officials who could have provided oversight and pushback and accountability in the checks and balances that our system was designed for to the Obama administration with regards to normalizing relations with Iran. Ben Rhodes might be at it again. I don't know. 
But you have this claim being made in recent weeks, as there are historic protests going on in Iran, even the soccer team for Iran at the World Cup protested the national anthem because they're so upset about the violent way their family and friends back home are being suppressed by the morality police, by the regime there, by the mullahs. You have a a lie being peddled that there's reform going on. This is the same kind of lie that was being peddled under the Obama administration so that the Iran nuclear deal could be worked out. The lie is that things are being moderated in Iran. But the irony is, even as that lie is being peddled, and I can get into that more in our next episode, if you'd like, why I say that's that's a lie, that things are not actually being moderated in Iran. Nothing is being moderated. Uh, this is just propaganda. But even at the same time that you have major news outlets here in the U.S., doing the bidding of the Democrat Party and foreign governments who are repressive of their own people, who are as anti-democratic as it gets, you also at the same time have those same media outlets not being able to find strong enough language for Americans if they have an R behind their name, if they're running as a Republican, if they're a conservative, if they're even just critical as a rule of the left and of liberals. They can't find strong enough language to denounce, but they will carry water for Iran or they will carry water for China. They don't mind Venezuela. They don't mind (laughs) these tyrants around the world. What really gets under their skin is conservatives, Republicans, flyover country, Trump voters, the basket of deplorables, you and I. So long as we don't vote their way, think their way, talk their way, walk their way, well, then we are the radicals. And even if all we're trying to do is actually moderate radical leftists here in the U.S., if that's all we're trying to do, and that's part of what it means that you're a conservative these days, you don't even have to be all that terribly conservative in a maybe a Burkean sense, if you will. All you have to be is saying, to the radical left that wants to just burn everything down. Hey, wait a second. Hold on. I think we might need that later. Or there's a reason that that was there. This is the Jenga tower and you're just pulling all of the little blocks out at the bottom. And this is going to collapse. We're actually the ones who are moderating here or trying to and trying to conserve. And again, again, we need to be optimistic. We need to be hopeful But the stark reality is we also need to be on guard. We need to guard our hearts for from our hearts flow the wellsprings of life. Our hearts are upstream of everything else that we do and say and think and feel and the kind of life that we have. And so let me just encourage you with this. And then, as I said, I got to run. With regards to current events, what's going on in the news, what we prioritize, how we think of what is popular, how much stock we put in that. Look to God. Look to God. That's part of the reason why we should worship is because we're reminding ourselves, we're remembering, even though we're the ones who derive the benefit, that doesn't mean that we are actually the center of attention in worship. But that is a motivator that that there's a blessing, right? There's a blessing for us. We're not blessing God, giving to him something that 
he didn't already have. He enjoys our worship. He's pleased by that. He rejoices over us, but we derive a great blessing and protection and benefit from recognizing that God is God. The Lord is God. He has done mighty works and we fear God, not man. Even when man conglomerates in uh, you know, a, a big number at the polls or gets some high office, however they got it, or has a, a big microphone or is widely published, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But as I said, I got to run. I got to run. That's all the time I've got for this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.